Well, hello, Hallows Church, uh, and greetings to guests who've tuned in to our virtual worship gathering this morning. My name is Andrew, and I serve as a pastor here with our faith family, and it is my pleasure to lead us through our study of the scriptures today. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one and turn it open to Acts chapter 20 to, a pa- to the passage that our friend Jess read so well for us a moment ago, Acts chapter 20. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that there's so much humor in it. And the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke. And Luke is a guy I'd like to hang out with because I I think he was funny. Uh, Last week, he told us a story about these seven brothers who got in a fight with this one demonized man. And at the end of the fight, they've lost their pants. And they're streaking naked from the scene. And then today, he tells a story about a man who's listening to a sermon on a Sunday. And and as he's listening to the sermon that, that stretched long into the night, he fell asleep. And after falling asleep, he fell out of the window and... The only thing worse in my mind would be if he had fallen out of the window without his pants and just kind of pull everything together. You know, laughter may be hard to come by these days. It may be hard to find reasons to laugh when you're reading the news or you're being confronted with all the happenings in the world right now, but laughter is something that we need. Laughter has a way of lifting the soul and and it's so encouraging to me to know that the Bible is filled with content that can bring joy and laughter and levity to life in a fallen world. This past week, we hosted a virtual prayer gathering for the first time since all of this uh, quarantining and social distancing started. And, and we had representation from all three of our expressions gathered on Zoom, and we just prayed together. And after the prayer gathering, several people just stayed on the line and, and just interacted with one another, caught up with one another, shared funny stories about how we've tried to cut hair during this time and, and giving advice for how to do that. And there was so much laughter. And one of the participants actually said afterwards, you know, just, just being present on that Zoom call and, and hearing people laugh, that was the first real laughter I've heard in weeks. You know, that type of dynamic, laughter is good for the soul. It is encouragement to us as we journey through these days. So we need to find time and space to laugh. Now when you look at Acts chapter 20, one of the major themes of this passage may be summed up in the word encouragement. The word encouragement pops up in verse one, it pops up in verse two. When you look at verse 12, the word comforted is used, but it's the same word translated as encouragement above. And And laughter may encourage us, laughter may lift us, but there are some other things that may encourage our souls as well, some things that may strengthen our faith during these days, and encouragement is something we also may need now more than ever. I believe that our prolonged experience in isolation and social distancing can lead to various forms of self-deception. And if self-deception goes unchecked, it can deteriorate into what's called unbelief. This is why in Hebrews chapter three, the writer of that book would warn the church against this. And listen to what he says. In Hebrews chapter three, he says, watch out brothers and sisters so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Instead, encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sins Deception. Now, what I love about that verse is the, or what stuck out to me as I thought about that verse over the past couple of days is just the frequency with which we are called to encourage each other. Encourage each other daily that we need this dynamic. And if that was true then, it is certainly true today. We need to encourage one another daily. 
There was a writer who once said that encouragement is like breathing oxygen into the soul. It, is, it, is, it lifts us, it fills us, and we need to breathe life into each other, especially as we are in our current situation and circumstance. And one of the unique things about the ministry of, the, uh, the ministry of encouragement is that this is the ministry that's essentially assigned to the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, just before Jesus uh, departs from this world, he's preparing his disciples for what life will be like then. And he tells them, look, it is better for you that I go because whenever I go, then I will give you my spirit. And listen to what he says in John chapter 14. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. Now the word translated counselor there is, is rooted to the word translated encouragement and comforted in Acts chapter 20. So when we talk about being an encouragement to one another, we are talking about leaning in to the passion of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is an encourager. He is a comforter. The Holy Spirit breathes life into our souls and the ordinary way that he does so is by how you and I interact with one another in encouraging ways. How you and I take steps to breathe oxygen into one another's souls and to be an encouragement to one another. So looking at Acts chapter 20, I want to identify four practical, simple ways that you and I can be an encouragement to each other over these coming days. Now the first way we can be an encouragement to one another is quite simply by supporting each other. By committing to supporting each other in the coming days and weeks and months ahead. You know, in verse one, after a riot broke out in Ephesus, Paul then begins to execute the plans that he refers to in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Plans to return to Jerusalem, and in order to get to Jerusalem, he will, re- he will pass through Macedonia and Achaia and a few other places. Now, one of the main reasons why Paul wants to return to Jerusalem, and we discover this when we study other the, the, some of the letters that he wrote during this time, one of the primary reasons for his trip is that he wants to collect gifts from churches, financial contributions from churches in Macedonia and in Greece and in Galatia and in Asia Minor, these churches that he had the joy of planting and being a part of, he's wanting to collect gifts from them to bring to Jerusalem so that relief may come to Christians who are hurting in that city. At that time, a famine had broken out and it was wrecking everything. And, but Christians were kind of on the low rung of the social ladder. And so the government and the local officials weren't really looking to care for the church. And so the church really needed to care for herself. And so Paul would rally other churches throughout the region to give funds to bring relief to the church in that city at that time. And when these gifts, when this financial support would be brought it was to be received as, as a concrete, tangible expression of Jesus' love for them. A concrete, tangible expression of the unity of the church in the world. What's amazing about the churches that he was collecting these funds from is that these were Gentile churches. These were non-Jewish churches. And one of the biggest concerns of the New Testament is unifying Jewish believers and Gentile believers forming one people in the church, solidarity, spiritual unity in Christ. And and so this support that would come through this fund was designed to speak to that. 
And so one of the ways that you and I can be an encouragement to each other is by simply supporting one another. By continuing to contribute to the support of the church, the relief of the poor, and the advancement of the gospel through Seattle to the ends of the earth. This is one of the reasons we started our COVID-19 relief fund that you guys have been so generous in contributing to, and I'm so grateful for the people we've been able to help in our city and support in our city who have fallen on hard times, both people in the church and neighbors who do not yet know Jesus as the Savior. And when I have an opportunity to share with them why we would uh, give resources to them to help pay for their rent or their mortgage or groceries or other essential supplies, in every conversation I have with, with someone I'm, I'm meeting for the first time, I tell them, I, I want you to receive this gift as a tangible expression of Jesus' love for you. I want you to know that Jesus is paying attention to you and he's rallying his people to care for you because he cares for you. And I tell every person I talk to who receives, every neighbor who receives these funds, that's the message I am communicating on behalf of our church. And that's the message our other elders who are giving these resources are communicating to people that we're able to support during this time. And so let me encourage you, one of the ways that we can encourage one another is by continuing to support these movements, continue to contribute to the support of the church, the relief of those who are suffering and hurting during this time, and as well as the advancement of the gospel. Now, I know that during this time, everybody's anticipating a recession, that the economy is going to take a hit because of COVID-19 and because of this pandemic, but... And as a result, a recession could cause you to become hesitant in giving to in these directions. A recession could cause you to become hesitant of, of exercising sacrificial generosity. And if, and if that's where your heart goes, which I know the feeling that, that that, I know what that feels like, let me encourage you with the Macedonian church's example. One of the things that Paul points out time and time again in the New Testament is how the churches particularly the Macedonian churches, gave generously to help other people in the world. And they gave not so much out of their prosperity, they actually gave out of their adversity. I'll give you an example, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse one. Listen to what Paul writes there about the Macedonian churches who were giving to support the church in Jerusalem. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace, that God, the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia, During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Isn't that incredible? He said, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. The churches in Macedonia were not wealthy churches. They did not have deep pockets. But they were faithful churches. They were generous churches. They recognized that by supporting God's activity in the world, that that was a blessing, that was a joy, that was something they eagerly wanted to be a part of. They counted it a privilege. It is a privilege to participate in God's activity by giving to the support of the church and the relief of those who are hurting and the advancement of the gospel around the world. And so these churches gave joyfully out of their own poverty, counting it a privilege. 
And when it comes to these dynamics, understand that every little bit helps. You may think, well, I don't have a whole lot to offer. But in the kingdom of God, every little bit helps. One of my favorite stories is a story of uh, when uh, one of the disciples named Andrew brings a little boy to Jesus who, as they're trying to figure out how to feed this crowd of 5,000 people, 5,000 plus that were in attendance of, of what Jesus was saying and teaching that day. And, and so Andrew brings this little boy to him, and this boy has five loaves of bread and two fish. He doesn't have a lot, but he wants to contribute. He wants to help. So he takes his little offering and he gives it to Jesus And then Jesus takes these five loaves of bread and two fish and he blesses it, breaks it, and then distributes it far and wide to to the whole multitude that is in attendance. And that five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus multiplied in such a way that it fed every mouth there and then some. So if you're worried, if if you think, well, I don't have much to offer, understand that Jesus, that in the kingdom of God, every little bit helps And so we ask God to take our meager offerings, to bless them, to break them, and to distribute them far and wide, doing exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine in the caring for people in our church, in our city, and around the world in his name. And so one of the ways that we can be an encouragement to each other is by supporting each other in that dynamic. A second thing we see here is that we want to be an encouragement by reaching out to each other. By reaching out to each other. In verse 2, while collecting funds, Paul also took time to encourage the churches in the faith. It says that he spoke many words of encouragement. So as he was collecting these funds, he also paused and he stopped and he spent time with the churches to share words personally for their benefit, personally to encourage them, to strengthen them, to breathe oxygen into their souls. Now, we know during this time that Paul wrote lots of letters to several churches. He wrote the book of Romans, for example. And, but even in the book of Romans, and, and as important as receiving a letter from the apostle was for the church, listen to what Paul says about the importance of personally interacting with people and being a personal encouragement to, the, to others. In Romans chapter 1, verse 11, he says, for I want, you, I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He, he says, I want very much to see you. I want to be with you. I want to interact with you in person. Now, obviously, we're limited in our ability to be with each other during this time, but we are not limited in our ability to reach out to each other. We do have technology, various forms that can help us interface with each other on a regular basis. This past week, my DNA met on Tuesday evening, and the night before, I didn't sleep at all. I I wasn't sure I'd be able to make it to DNA that night or to be able to jump on another Zoom call. I was tired and frustrated about things from the day and night prior, and but I got on that Zoom call, and I began to see the faces of disciples I haven't seen in a while, and And we begin to talk about life and talk about struggle and talk about our experience. We begin to catch up. So much oxygen was breathed into my soul during that time. I mean, we we spent two and a half hours on Zoom together Tuesday night. and, And those two and a half hours just flew by. And by the time it was over, we were ready to, to do it again. And, 
And we're committing, we're recalibrating uh, our cadence to connect in a DNA format. And I would encourage you, if you're a part of a DNA, to continue to connect in that format, utilize technology to, to interact with each other, reach out to one another regularly so that you can have those moments to encourage each other. I learned about some disciples in our West Seattle expression who've been hosting these parking lot hangouts. Now less than 10 people coming together and they are uh, just setting up shop in the parking lot of our West Seattle expression, sitting on the tailgate, social distancing from one another, but just seeing each other and talking to each other and, and how encouraging that has been for those who have participated. So we can get creative in the ways we are reaching out to one another during this, during this time. This is also why following our service today, we're going to start hosting what's called an after party. And after our virtual worship gatherings, we're gonna invite anyone who wants to attend to join us uh, for an after party so that we can just interact with one another, see each other, uh, even if it's on a screen, to be able to see each other and talk to each other on that, on that front. And so I would encourage you to jump into the after party after this service. It will run probably from about 11.15 to 11.45 to access the after party, you can um, just type in halloschurch.org forward slash after party. I believe it's listed on the screen here. So you can just log that in, click on that, and join us at 11.15 after this service, and we will um, just be together. And so we want to be an encouragement by supporting one another and by reaching out to one another. But then the third dynamic we find in this passage is that we want to continue serving alongside each other. Continue to serve alongside each other. In verse four, Luke mentions a long list of traveling companions. Lots of names that are hard to pronounce. Well done, Jess. And the, these delegates from the Gentile churches who traveled with Paul to bring these offerings, these financial gifts back to the city of Jerusalem. And they were official representatives that were uh, designed to kind of affirm the Gentile church's love for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Again, reinforcing the solidarity and the unity that we have in Christ. And, and one of the practical effects at having this, this, this band of travelers with Paul as he's walking around is that you needed a bigger group to travel the ancient world with that much money. If you had that, mu- that many resources with you as you're traveling around, you needed a group of people to protect the offering and to protect Paul and to make sure the money is carried to where it's committed to go. And so what you find in this moment is that disciples, leaders of churches were coming together and serving alongside one another. And I just want to encourage you this morning with the fact that as we continue following Jesus together, even in these days, we want to continue serving alongside one another. We want to unite together on mission so that we might make much of Jesus and all that we say and all that we do, how we are embodying the presence and the power of Jesus in the life of our church as we are serving Seattle and the surrounding nations. One of the ways I've seen this come out in the life of our church is uh, how our missional community leaders have been able to be drawn upon to help us bring supplies and resources to hurting people in our neighborhoods. I think of Jordan Keister, who leads our missional community in in Finney Ridge, and his willingness to go shopping on behalf of a neighbor who couldn't get out of the house because he's compromised in his immune system, and his willingness to go on behalf of someone he's never met before, that he's never seen before, and 
and shop and spend time getting groceries, getting supplies, and then bringing those supplies to him and, and assuring him that he is cared for, that, he is, that we are aware of him and that Jesus is aware of him. And, and just uniting together in that way is such an encouragement. It's been said before that many hands make light work. And so the more of you that are leaning in to what we are trying to do in this season, the better, the better it will be for everyone. And perhaps you're listening to this and you are not a part of a church. Maybe you haven't identified with our faith family or with any other faith family in our city. And, and maybe you've been thinking about what church you should join and, and what church you should be a part of. And if you're having that thought process, let me encourage you with this thought. As you're looking to join a church, do not join a church on the basis of what that church can necessarily do for you. Join a church on the basis of what you can do for that church, of what gifts and talents and skills you bring to the table that will encourage the believers in that faith family, that can encourage the advancement of the gospel through that faith family in practical and powerful ways. When you are looking to join a church or to find a, faith, a local, tangible expression of God's family in the world, let me encourage you to consider not so much what they may be able to do for you, but what you might be able to do for them. Because when we are serving alongside one another, that's when so much oxygen, so much life, so much air is being breathed into our faith, it's being breathed into our souls. It's like a sailboat that's stalled on the lake. When that sailboat, when the wind begins to blow, it fills the sails and moves it along so that it can continue to continue in its journey. And that's essentially what we are doing when we are encouraging one another. Now the fourth dynamic that I want to point out as, as a way, of we can, way we can be of an encouragement to each other is by continuing to gather with each other. It's by gathering with each other. Now I know this looks different nowadays. We're not meeting in the Emmanuel Bible Church gym. We're not meeting at our West Seattle Expression Building. We're not meeting at the Rock of Hope at, with our Edmonds Expression, but we are still meeting virtually. We are still worshiping in this capacity. We are still meeting in missional communities virtually. We still have the opportunity to gather together in DNAs and all those dynamics. And, and when we gather with each other, it, that movement and that moment can be incredibly encouraging to our souls. In verse seven, Paul points out kind of the gathering of the church. And notice what he says in verse seven. He says that they assembled together on the first day of the week. Now this is one of the earliest texts revealing that the early church gathered on Sundays. And the reason they gathered on Sundays is because Sunday became known as the Lord's Day as referenced in a few other passages in the New Testament. And it was referred to as the Lord's Day because that's the day Jesus resurrected, that he returned, that he stepped out of the tomb and he came back to life. And so they would gather on Sundays in honor of the resurrection of Jesus and they would celebrate what Jesus had done for them. And so all throughout the history of the church, Sunday has occupied a sacred space for us. Now we know as followers of Jesus who believe that he is Lord over all time and space, this means that every day is sacred for us. Every day we're given to live in this world as a sacred, every moment is a sacred moment. Every day is a sacred day, day. Every week is a sacred week. But just because every day is sacred, that doesn't mean every day is the same. 
And so when we say Sundays are sacred, we are not saying that Thursday isn't, but we are saying that it's not sacred in the same way. That Sunday is a unique moment for Christians to think about together at the same time, the resurrection of Jesus, a time for us to come and assemble and gather and worship. And so on Sundays, we want to devote our time and attention more consciously, more in a more focused manner, in a more deliberate fashion, we want to devote our, devote our time and our attention towards gospel realities. And so the church is gathered together on Sundays all throughout history. Now I know that there are churches around the world that are unable to, that are prohibited from gathering on Sundays due to where they are located and, and certain difficult cultural contexts. But, but if we are able to gather on Sundays, let, let's continue to gather on Sundays because Sunday should occupy a sacred a sacred space in the mind and the heart of every believer. And when we gather together in those ways, we want to gather, understand, for encouragement, not so much for entertainment. Now, we can have fun together. We want to laugh. We want to experience joy together. But understand that that laughter and that joy and that levity should happen because encouragement is happening that we are being strengthened in our faith. We are being reminded of gospel realities. And so we gather together for the primary purpose of encouragement, not necessarily entertainment. Now, when you look at this passage, not everything that the church did when they gathered together is mentioned, but there are a few core elements that I want to put before you. When the church gathered together on Sundays in this moment, they gathered to partake in the Lord's Supper. Now, there's a reference in this passage to a bigger meal that they likely shared together. They feasted together, which is why we as a faith family, one of the reasons we value the table. But we understand that the table for the Christian represents not just our dining tables and kind of those feasting moments that we have with large groups of people and lots of different kinds of food, but the table also represents what's called the Lord's Supper. And referring to the breaking of the bread there is a reference, it's a technical term referring to Believers in churches observing the Lord's Supper. And so you have two things happening here. In a moment, we're going to talk about listening to God's word being preached. And so you have the word being taught, but then you also have the word being seen. That when we partake in the Lord's Supper and we come to the table, that's where we're able to see the gospel. That's when we're able to to see an illustration of the body of Jesus given for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us. And so... One of the reasons they gathered together was to partake in the Lord's Supper. Now, there are two ways in which Christians see the gospel today. One way that we see the gospel illustrated is through baptism. And when a Christian is baptized, they, they are identifying with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's kind of their initial identification with Jesus and with Jesus' people. And as we move from baptism, then we kind of come out of the waters and Ideally, we're coming out of the waters and running the table because at the table, uh, we find our, just our ongoing identification with Jesus and Jesus' people. That's where we partake of gospel realities and we spiritually commune with Christ and we do so in the context of others, in the context of the church as other believers are participating in that as well. One of the ways that you might want to think about the relationship between baptism and the Lord's Supper is kind of like getting married. 
on your wedding day, uh, on a wedding day, a, a couple comes together, they exchange vows, and a, and a new relationship is formed, and it is formed publicly, and it is, it is declared for others to see and to observe and then bear witness to. But then from that point forward, usually couples will celebrate that date every year. And so on the wedding day, they exchange vows, but then about a year later, they celebrate an anniversary. Well, that's similar to how baptism and the Lord's Supper should be viewed in the life of the church. Baptism is that public ceremony where we are acknowledging and affirming this newfound relationship we have with Jesus and with Jesus' people. And then we come out of the waters and we begin to celebrate as often as we are assembling together our anniversary of that dynamic. We remember the body of Christ given and the blood of Christ shed and we think about the gospel and we partake in the Lord's Supper as we have celebrating our relationship and commemorating our relationship with Jesus and the church over and over and over again. This is why ideally and ordinarily your baptism should proceed your going to the table. Now, I know there are different reasons and circumstances why that order might not uh, fit neatly and cleanly in a person's journey, but, but if at all possible, and the ordinary practice in our church should be when you become a Christian or parents, when your kids start showing faith in Jesus and they want to go public with that faith, their first move shouldn't necessarily be to the table. It should rather be to the baptism waters. And so if you have been partaking in the Lord's Supper, but you have not yet been baptized, you know, we're not condemning that or judging that, but we do want to encourage you to, to recalibrate. And we can get creative in how we can celebrate your baptism, even as we are social distancing and participating in a virtual gathering. And, and so let me encourage you, if you have not yet been baptized, but you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you're going to the table, let me encourage you to make baptism a pressing priority Talk to me, talk to Pastor Mark, Pastor Bryant, Pastor Jeff. Let us know what's happening and let us come alongside you and help you move in that direction. Now I know as we've been assembling together in this virtual format, we haven't partaken of the Lord's Supper yet, but this is why we're going to begin hosting sporadically um, moments for us to do so. The first time is gonna come next Sunday on May 17th. We're going to host a Lord's Supper service virtually via Zoom. It's gonna take place next Sunday uh, in the middle of our after party immediately following the service. So you're gonna wanna tune in at 10 a.m. and participate in the gathering at this time so that you can jump into the live Lord's Supper service that we will host starting at 11.15 on that day. And we're gonna help you prepare for that uh, this week by rolling a video out made by one of our friends named Esteban. And, and Esteban's gonna help us learn how to make, if we don't have any bread in the house, make some unleavened bread that we can use for the Lord's Supper. Or if you don't have that, don't sweat it. Use whatever you got. Use crackers, use Dave's bread. Whatever you have to come together and partake in this meal with us next Sunday. Grab something red and we will partake in the Lord's Supper next week uh, during our after party on Sunday, May 17th. But with the picture of the gospel that that comes, as the church gathered to partake in the Lord's Supper, they also gathered to listen to the preaching of God's word. And in this passage, that's probably what receives the most attention as Paul preached a killer sermon, apparently. I mean, he killed it. A dude fell out of window and died momentarily. Now, you, you look at this, and we know that he preached a long time. He preached well past midnight, and 
This isn't really a passage that tells us how long a sermon should be when we assemble, but it, but it is a passage that tells us that we should devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching when we assemble. The church there had access to the Apostle Paul and they knew the Apostle Paul was about to leave and so they wanted as much time with him as possible so they stayed up late, listened to him teaching. They were devoting him themselves to the Apostles' teaching and you and I do the same thing when we gather together. This is why we study the Bible. This is why we submit to the scriptures. This is why we listen to the preaching of the word week in and week out because we are devoting ourselves to the Apostles' teaching. And so Paul delivers this message and, and it has a huge impact. Now, as you listen to God's word being preached, even in this virtual format, let me encourage you to listen in a particular way. Each week you assemble with other Christians, whether it's virtually or in person, and you hear God's word being taught and preached, let me encourage you to listen humbly. Put yourself underneath the teaching of the scriptures. You know, I'm the one who... Uh, a lot of times myself, Pastor Mark, Pastor Bryant, Pastor Jeff, we, we usually preach and teach the word on Sundays and, and understand that when we stand and we begin to, to do this, it's not because myself or anyone else is standing over the word, it's because during the week we've placed ourselves underneath the scriptures and now we're asking you to join us there so that we are humbly submitting to the authority of the scriptures in our life and in our church. We're listening to God humbly by saying you are God I am not your word rules my life not my word not my culture's word not anyone else's words we want to listen humbly we want to listen intently we want to pay attention to what's being said we want to listen biblically like the Bereans earlier who who examined what Paul was telling them to see if what he was saying lined up with what God had already revealed through the Old Testament prophets we want to listen personally when you hear the word being preached and taught don't listen to that word for the sake of someone else. It, it should never cross our mind to say, yes, so-and-so definitely needs to hear this. It should never cross our mind to do that without first saying, okay, what do I need from this? So we want to listen personally because God is speaking to each of us every time the word is being read and the word is being taught and the word is being proclaimed. We want to listen missionally. We want to listen to the teaching of the word and consider how can we then reproduce this? How can we take something from this teaching that will help me love and serve other people? How will this help me live on mission for Jesus? We want to listen missionally and we want to listen gratefully. We want to thank God for his word. We want to thank God for speaking. We want to thank God for loving us enough to make himself known to us through the scriptures. And so we gather to partake in the Lord's Supper, we gather to listen to God's word being preached. But then the third reason, or the third dynamic you see happening here, and one of the reasons we wanna encourage one another by gathering with each other is by, is so that we can keep each other awake. So that we can keep each other awake. Now, Eutychus fell asleep and then he fell out of a window. I read this story and I can't help but think about my father-in-law. My father-in-law um, had uh, diabetes and other health struggles and when he came to, when he had a kind of an awakening of faith in his life and he began to join Kim and Kim's mom and worshiping Jesus at a particular church in their town, he always insisted on sitting on the front row. But the problem was when he would sit on the front row, he'd always fall asleep so he could never stay awake. And so he would sit on the front row and he would go to sleep. Sometimes he would even snore. 
And Kim would have to sit next to him and the whole service just kind of nudge him and, and bump him and keep him alert, keep him awake. Now I know there's a tendency for people to fall asleep in church. And, and if you know that's your tendency, I would rather you sit on the front row and fall asleep than sit on the back row and fall asleep. Because if you sit on the front row and fall asleep, at least I know you're trying, right? If, if you're on the back row and you know you're gonna fall asleep, you're giving up already. So whenever we're able to gather together, and if you tend to fall asleep during these moments, come to the front row and let me know you're at least trying. I won't call you out or anything. But Kim would sit next to her dad and she would just nudge him and keep him awake. And, and there are times when we, we certainly need people we certainly need people in our lives who, who are willing to nudge us, who are willing to bump us, who are willing to, to push us towards being spiritually awake. Paul does this often in the New Testament. There are many times when he writes letters to churches and, and he's basically just putting a little elbow in their side saying, hey guys, wake up, pay attention. These realities matter. The gospel is true. It is for you. It is for everyone else. But we need to hear it. We need to take it in. We need to think it through. We need to turn it out. And he's nudging people over and over and over again. I'll give you a few examples. In Romans chapter 13, he says, the night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's saying, look, the sun is about to rise. You need to rise too. Wake up, pay attention. He goes on and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he, he tells the church in Corinth, come to your senses and stop sinning. Wake up and stop dishonoring Jesus because there are people who are ignorant about God and they need to see the difference Jesus makes in your life. And so he, he would bump the church at Corinth. He would nudge the church at Corinth. He would wake the church up with the words that he was writing to them. And one of the ways that we love and serve each other in the life of the church is by gently and gracefully nudging one another so that we too can stay awake and be aware of the reality of God and be aware of the impact God wants to make through us on those around us. Then you get to Ephesians chapter five. Paul writes, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He's saying, wake up. Paul nudging the church at Ephesus and, and there's a sense in which you and I need to gather together. We need to be together so that we can keep each other awake. It's been said by John Newton that every sin is the result of getting weary of God. That every sin is the result of going to sleep spiritually. Every sin is the result of getting weary of God. And so we need to gather together to nudge one another so that we stay awake spiritually. That we are mindful of the things of God and we are mindful of the heart of God for those around us. Now Eutychus fell asleep and he fell out of a window and he died, but Paul was there to wake him up. Paul was there to bring him back to life. And when Eutychus woke up, he woke up to the power of the resurrection. He woke up to the reality of Jesus and what Jesus is all about. Let me ask you, have you woken up to the reality of the resurrection? Have you woken up to the beauty of the gospel? Are you right now awake to those realities? Are you awake to the beauty of Jesus and the power of the resurrection? And if not, why not? If not, let this, let this morning be a gentle, graceful nudge. Wake up. Pay attention. God is on the move. God is for you, not against you. God has work he wants to do through you. Pay attention. Wake up. 
and live in light of the resurrection of Jesus. As we wrap this up, let me ask you the question, who can you encourage this week? Who can you support? Who can you reach out to? Who can you, um, who can you serve alongside this week? And who can you gather with? Who can you encourage this week? And as you prayerfully consider the answer to that question for this week, then prayerfully consider how you might do so. How are you going to be an encouragement to those around you? How are you going to breathe life into other people's souls? How are you going to put wind in other people's cells? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you fill us with your spirit so that we might be an encouragement to each other and that we might be an encouragement to those around us. God, we love you. We trust you. We pray for strength. We pray for joy. We pray for gladness. We pray for encouragement. All in Jesus' name, amen.